It's always showtime at BetMGM Sports. You can make your first bet risk-free up to $1,000 when you sign up with the code SHERDOG. Don't let another game day go by without having the ultimate sports betting app in the palm of your hand. Discover non-stop excitement with BetMGM's state-of-the-art technology and dozens of betting options, including live wagers, props, parlays, and much more. No matter what your favorite sport is or how you like to wager, find out why there's nothing like getting a W at the King of Sportsbooks. Use the code SHERDOG and make your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Download the BetMGM app and sign up today. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Arizona. Colorado, Washington, D.C., Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, or Wyoming only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire in seven days from issuance. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Louisiana, Nevada, Wyoming, and Virginia. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help uh, in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, Indiana, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia, or 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Tennessee, call the red line at 800-889-9789. In Mississippi, call 1-888-777-9696. Sports betting is void where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada. All right, it is the week of May 9th, 2022, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Auger, and today we've got a little bit of a shorter show, but still plenty to get through. First, we're going to talk about UFC 274 pay-per-view buys. We do have the numbers from those pay-per-views, as well as an indication as what other pay-per-views this year did. And so we've got to really dive into all of that information. Uh, Then we're going to talk about Endeavor's earnings call. They did have their Q1 earnings call today. Some interesting tidbits, specifically around sponsorship revenue, live events, and a little bit about those pay-per-view buys as well, and and just overall state of things. And then last but not least, like I said last week, I was going to cover substitutions in business, specifically how it relates to the MMA industry with boxing right now is the biggest substitute by far. Um, So we're going to dive into that as well and look at it from a couple of different angles and hopefully give you an idea of why you're seeing a lot of MMA fighters start to look at boxing and really see why the the landscape has shifted a bit um, for MMA free agents. So with that in mind, timestamps at the bottom as always, and let's go ahead and dive right in. All right. First thing to talk about today is UFC 274 pay-per-view buys. So according to Adam Stern over at Sports Business Journal, UFC 274 did over 400,000 buys. We don't know exactly how much, but the fact that he said 400,000 leads me to believe it's less than 450. Um, But we know it's more than exactly 400,000 on the dot. That all being said, another thing that stands out in this report, not only it being the first time we've had pay-per-view buys reported from a reputable source in quite a while, is that According to the report, it is the highest pay-per-view buy rate of the year. 
that is very important. Talk to a couple stars drawing power as well as a couple of different factors going on. So before we dive really deep into this, again, just want to call out Fight Scout app and some of these other sites that are just publishing literally garbage numbers, right? Um, just, just go around. If you see those numbers being published with the yellow, the yellow numbers and, oh, it's this many buys and this is how much they got paid. Remember again, don't trust those guys. That being said, let's talk about this. First, let's talk about 274 doing 400,000 buys. So clearly shows that Gaethje and or Oliveira is a draw. I mean, that is higher than your standard rate. And what we, again, kind of put as the the floor middling rate around 200,000 buys is, is what we've seen in the past. Um, so that's double that. Now, post-COVID, that is a little bit lower, um, or rather in the COVID era. era um, that's a bit lower than we've seen. We've seen this inflated, what I've called the COVID bump. I think a big part of that was, again, people being locked inside. Um, you you had UFC being the first sport back, so it was kind of this novelty. And 400,000 buys is still good. Don't get me wrong. This is still a very good number, but it is much lower than what we've seen from reported numbers in 2021 and 2020. Now, part of that is, yes, you had some big fights like Connor and Dustin, right? Of course, those are going to draw gangbusters. But even outside of that, that, that seems, again, not bad, but not necessarily um, I'm jumping up and down for joy, right? In terms of who is the draw here, that is a real good question because there's been a lot of, I guess you want to say a lot of, of concern among media members and fans that Oliveira is not the draw, right? That the UFC is kind of trying to screw them a little bit, especially with the weight miss and everything going on with that whole fiasco certainly seemed like okay we don't want Oliveira as champion we prefer Gaethje and Gaethje has put on you know spectacular fight after fight so has Oliveira in his recent run um but we we know from Justin's numbers that sometimes he can draw but other times not so much and it's hard to say you know, if maybe it just took a while for the casual audience to see him, especially, you know, he had that fight against Habib where he kind of got ragdolled, but then he had that banger against Michael Chandler. Maybe that kind of boosted him up. But it's, you know, hard to say Olivero didn't get the same bump from his banger with Michael Chandler, right? I mean, and or his fight against Dustin Poirier, who had just fought Conor McGregor, who probably had more of a rub than Chandler or Gaethje anyway. It's, it's really hard to say. Um, either way, great combo for both guys. I'll be very curious to see the numbers for when Oliveira, I guess, challenges for his belt at this point, even though we all know he's the champ. Um, if you want to call technicalities, go for it. And, and there was business reasons behind that too, right? I mean, hypothetically, they could have paid him less. Seems like he got his pay-per-view points for this one, but when, Dana White was asked about pay-per-view points going into the next title fight. He wasn't sure on that, which makes me leads me to believe that maybe he won't get pay-per-view points and that championship bump during his next fight. Um, but we'll see. And, and again, that does 
reduce cost, which that's what the UFC machine is all about. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I'm very curious to see how he does. I'm also curious to see where, where Gaethje goes too, because he's probably going to headline either another fight night. It's unlikely, you know, Gaethje will headline any sort of pay-per-view or be put on a pay-per-view where he's more of the main draw, even in a co-main at this point. I feel like, you know, they love having Gaethje fight. Obviously Gaethje loves to fight. Um, but in terms of where he'll be placed on cards, I don't think it's going to be easy to gauge his drawing power unless he's on an ESPN card. If he's on an ESPN fight night card, that'll be a good indication because we could look based on ratings and yes, ratings are what ratings are nowadays, but still you'd be able to kind of look and see if a lot of people are tuning in for gauge or not. So very curious to see where either guy goes after this, but good number overall. Now let's move on to the second bit of news surrounding this, which is that according to this report by Adam Sturd, this was the highest grossing pay-per-view of 2022. Or I'm sorry, highest pay-per-view buy number of 2022, not highest grossing. Now, remember, at the start of this year, they bumped up the pay-per-view price to $75 a pay-per-view, which is steep. And I mentioned that when they did that, they were going to A, see a dip, and B, it's more of an ESPN thing, right? ESPN is trying to get more of that revenue because they get straight revenue from buys up to a certain amount. And then once it hits that threshold, then the UFC gets a cut. So it's probably an ESPN move as well. Of, okay. We want to get a bigger share here. Yes. We're going to get low, lower buys overall, but we're going to get more money because we've raised the price of those buys and we're going to keep it under the threshold or closer to the threshold where we get to keep all the money. So, we knew that was going to happen, but let's look at some of these other cards, shall we? Um, UFC 270 was Nganu versus Gone. So that kind of, again, to me, solidifies part of what I had suspected with Nganu, where he was a big draw and a big, you know, right on the cusp of superstardom when he first fought Stipe. But after losing to Stipe, the shine kind of wore off, right? Um, which is, which is how it goes. The combination of, you know, devastating highlight reel finishes plus being undefeated, plus having a personality. That's how you get Ronda. That's how you get McGregor. That's how you get superstars, like superstar, superstars, Adesanya, right? I mean, that's, those are the three things you need, the three ingredients to really push that threshold. Um, Jones, right? I mean, same type of deal. So, I mean, I'm not super surprised at that, although I would have thought we would have done around 400,000. And maybe they did, and maybe just this just beat it, right? 274 just beat 270, but still, I, I don't know. It's it's interesting there. Um, 271 was Adesanya versus Whitaker, too. That is shocking, because Adesanya is usually a big draw. And considering the last time out, he floored Whitaker you would have thought that it would have done better this time around. So the only, the only takeaways I can really, you know, glean for that are probably a, they, they thought Whitaker was just going to get flatlined again. Right. And it wasn't going to be worth watching or B 
they've been watching more Adesanya fights recently, which here's the thing about Adesanya. He either puts on a masterful clinic or he puts on a very boring fight. And that's not necessarily his fault or a knock against him, right? He plays smart. He, he uses feints in a way and, and counter strikes in a way that obviously has led to him winning several matches. Um, he's got a style that's very favorable with the judges and fans, it seems too, right? Uh, I, you know, I thought, you know, when it came to UL versus Adesanya, I thought UL edged it. Uh, I, I honestly thought that Whitaker edged Adesanya here. And yes, I know I'm going to get a lot of, you're an Adesanya hater and blah, blah, blah. Whatever. I don't care. Um, from a business perspective, if you watch the UL Adesanya fight, if you watch Adesanya Whitaker 2, if you watch Adesanya Vittori, right? Those aren't super exciting fights. You don't go back and rewatch those fights or Vittori 2 rather. You, you don't. You, you really don't go back and watch. They're boring. They just are. You go back and watch, yeah, the Costa um, highlight reel knockout, right? You go back and watch Whitaker 1 knockout. You go and, of course, you watch Gastelum versus Adesanya. Definitely his most exciting fight in the UFC. You go watch those, but you don't really watch the rest. He's not super exciting. So I think it's very possible that the shine is kind of worn off on that in terms of viewers who have consistently tuned in for him just to watch him kind of get these decision wins, but have it be somewhat of a snooze fest. Um, it, it's one of those two reasons. We'll really see how he bounces back. Cannoneers is next opponent for 276. I, I wouldn't be, you know, super worried about him losing that fight, Adesanya losing that fight. So, I mean, I don't know. We'll see if, if it really is a casual fan thing, they should hypothetically be t- buying 276 because they've probably not seen Cannoneer fight often, if at all. So that's an interesting one to me, though, because Adesanya has consistently been one of the better draws in the UFC. And then you had uh, Colby versus Jorge, which, again, Jorge had been quite a draw since beating uh, Diaz, since, you know, fighting Usman, but probably after the Usman losses, maybe not so much. And Colby is not the biggest draw. I mean, he's got the loud mouth, he's got the personality, but he really hasn't been a consistent draw. His ratings have been bad on ESPN cards, and in pay-per-view, he hasn't been a huge, huge pull. So that shows me that Jorge's, you know, kind of worn off. That star power has really kind of diminished. And then Volkanovski versus Korean Zombie. Korean Zombie, you know, um, hasn't headlined a pay-per-view in quite some time. He's headlined several fight nights, right? Um, and then Volk, I love Volk, but again, not the biggest draw. I don't know why, right? I mean, it was a super excited fight. He pieced Zombie up. I mean, it was well worth watching, but for whatever reason, um, Featherweight's, don't really tend to draw that much unless you're Conor McGregor on your initial run. So that shows, again, I think these combined forces of high cost to entry now, you know, 75 might be that price point where a lot of casual fans, you've, you've gone over the price point where you, you've really exponentially lost casual fans because $75 is a lot to ask for a pay-per-view, especially if you're not regularly watching the UFC. And then B, on top of that, You've got, I think, some stars losing their their power. 
right? I still think McGregor draws a ton. Would be curious to see how Diaz does, right? Um, if he were to headline a pay-per-view. If they did the trilogy, that'd be a great, you know, expectation. And I think we need another baseline for that ceiling, right? Once you've gone above that particular price point, people don't realize this. A huge thing in pricing a product or a service is it's not as simple as, oh, someone will pay this much and then you'll lose like 200 if you go up a dollar and then another 200 people if you go up a dollar, blah, blah. It's not a slope, right? It is a curve in terms of, of how you lose customers once you hit price points. I think a McGregor pay-per-view, the next one there is, because I'm sure there'll be at least one more, um, would will be a great baseline as to the ceiling again. I would not be shocked if McGregor, yes, breaks a million buys. If he breaks less, I wouldn't even be that shocked if he's in the 900 or 800, high 800,000 range. Um, but I think it's going to be significantly lower than what he did before. And not just because he's lost because he still has that star power, right? We we've seen that time and time again. Um, I think if he comes back, he headlines a pay-per-view, especially the trilogy against Diaz. That's a great new level set for a ceiling with that new price point, because it's not as simple as you hit this mark and you lose, I don't know how many thousand pay-per-view buys and, Oh, you hit another uh, dollar and you lose another thousand. No, it exponentially increases pricing your product. There's a whole subset of people where all they do is pricing strategy. And that's for a reason. It's to gauge the economic conditions of your environment, to gauge your consumer tolerance for discretionary spending on particular subsets of leisure entertainment, which this would be. It's a whole thing. So very curious to see what the new ceiling is. But again, the fact that Gaethje and Oliveira outdrew Adesanya and Nganu speaks a lot to the environment, speaks a lot to either their drawing power isn't nearly as big as what people thought or what it once was. I mean, Jorge too, or, or it speaks to the fact that Oliveira or Gaethje is really kind of becoming a star. And we'll see. We'll see the next pay-per-view Oliveira is on where that ends up. He, if he's headlining. If he's not headlining, it's going to be harder to see, but we'll we'll check in on it. But those are the inferences you can draw. Again, combination of prices rising and a less than stellar track record of some of the headliners in terms of exciting must-see fights. All right, next thing I want to talk about is the Endeavor earnings call, which took place today. So I'm recording this May 12th. Um, if you haven't seen his threads, Paul Gift does a great live call out of the earnings calls. Basically, you know, live tweets it. Great stuff there. Hits all the highlights. Uh, you got a couple articles out there as well that consolidate in some bigger ways. But really, I, I stick with uh, Gift's tweets, to be honest. Um, there's also, for you business nerds like me, which I'm sure a lot of you are, you can type Endeavor earnings calls seeking alpha after it's happened and they'll have the most recent earnings call transcripts. You can hear exactly what was said and it's all typed out. It's all, you know, easy to digest in that regard. If you want to actually see word for word, what the earnings call was about. Um, 
couple of things that stand out on this that GIF tweeted about, and I've seen some articles, right? Um, highest grossing fight night card in history at London O2 Arena. Uh, highest U.S. grossing card in Columbus, Ohio. You've got a big boost from that from post-COVID, right? I mean, those are the first events we've really had, live UFC events that weren't big pay-per-views in Florida or Texas and Houston. Um, biggest fight night cards where they've actually gone somewhere in forever. Columbus was the first fight night card in I don't know how long, since COVID. So 2020, I believe, pretty sure. Um, and obviously, same with London. I mean, that's it's been a while since they've been to London. They've been planning to go, and then COVID messed it all up. So not shocked by that bump, and I'm sure prices were a little bit higher. Um, if you've not seen some of the prices for the fight nights and uh, pay-per-views, they have gone up compared to what they used to be pre-COVID. Um, so not shocked by those at all. Um, UFC had one fewer pay-per-view event scheduled in the current year quarter than normal. So um, again, only three. Usually they do four, which sounds about right. Last year, I believe they did two in January. Um so again, not shocking uh, when they talk about you know that happening and then um, some revenue being offset by Diamond Baseball Holdings and their sports properties. They're, so they're wrapping it all together, saying like, "Hey, this is offset by this," and yeah, yeah, we had a little bit of issues here, but still, still up overall, right? Uh, EPS was for Endeavor was missed by like three percent, but revenue was plus ten, so stock is up after hours and rightfully so. Um, by about $2 a share when it's at 18. So, you know, not bad, a little over 10% bump. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's good stuff for Endeavor. Uh, when, when you talk about, you know, the strength of the revenue, it's hard not to look at this stuff and see, especially when the own sports property segment generated revenue of 296 million in the first quarter, up 13 or 5%. Um, segments adjusted EBITDA was up 2%. And then they talk a lot in the actual call about sponsorships, which we've talked on the show a ton, media rights deals as well. Um, Sports Business Journal, I believe, had put out an article a while back about how they were doubling or near doubling their sports media rights around 94% on average. According to this, the combined sports media rights renewals, which would have included London, uh, South Korea, a couple other places, uh, was over 100%. So that's huge. That means you were getting $20 million from South Korea's main affiliate for broadcast media rights. You get the equivalent of $40 million next year. I mean, you can't can't be happier, right? That's, that's huge stuff, strong revenue growth. And again, they talk about commercial pay-per-view being up, and then this goes back to what we just talked about with the UFC 274 being 400,000 buys being the biggest of the year so far, they're still up in revenue because they've insulated themselves so well. They've really done a great job of getting that fixed revenue increasing. That's why they went so hard after sponsorships. That's why they've been working to break into new segments and new regional geographical areas or, again, convert more fans in existing areas, a.k.a. the U.K., right, that's there's there's a reason they had a big London O2 card and you know touted Patty the Batty and had Tom Aspinall headline and all this other stuff right before they got that new deal signed right which closed at the end of this past quarter 
This is what they do. And it's smart. It's fixed revenue. It's set for as long as those media rights deals are. So even though pay-per-view numbers are down with that increase in, in cost and, again, possibly lack of drawing power, plus COVID, that's another factor, right? Summer, everybody's going out now. Um, I mean, it, it just keeps their overall growth going. Now, it's not you know exponential growth or crazy growth, but the UFC is at a stage right now where they're kind of plateauing, right? They had that crazy exponential growth where they're just growing as fast as they possibly could uh, post-Ultimate Fighter. They've been doing that for a while. They get bought out by Endeavor. Endeavor then buys the whole thing. They get that fixed media rights deal with ESPN for $1.5 billion. All this stuff. And it's really now starting to slow and I believe turn into the more mature company phase, right? You have that startup, you have a growth phase, then eventually you get to the mature phase where it's okay, we've we've kind of figured out our niche, our service. We, we've got a solid customer base and now we've got to kind of find innovative ways to keep that flowing as well as growing, but not anywhere near the same number as before, right? There, you, you simply can't sustain the type of growth that we've seen in the UFC over the past decade or so. It's it's not possible. It, I mean, I guess hypothetically it is, but I've yet to see a company actually pull it off, right? You get that massive growth, growth and wave, but even the titans of industry, right, plateau and then have to fight to stay relevant. So in this regard, I feel like this is probably the start of the UFC's kind of maturity. Endeavor will still grow, I believe, because they're, again, recently IPO'd. They've got a huge amount of segments under them, so they're still massive. But I think they they have a little bit more opportunity for just natural growth. But I don't think the UFC is going to yield them anywhere near as much year over year as it has been. And that you know, it's, it's kind of highlighted a little bit in what they talk about in terms of Endeavor's overall ideals of, you know, they're not limited to one particular platform. They're trying to be kind of the supply side with all of the actors. Like they mentioned Robert Pattinson in the call being like the lead actor represented by William Morris and William Morris, you know, talent growths are up quite a bit since 2019. Um, they're trying to still cultivate that ecosystem I've talked about, even though they kind of say they're not. For me, in my opinion, I think they still are. Um, They have too many things in place and too many strategic moves with vertical integration that in my opinion, they're really trying to kind of create their own version of like an Apple ecosystem or an Amazon or Tesla, right? Like that whole, like, Hey, buy from us. We've got all these adjacent products and we've got SpaceX and the boring company and Tesla's and all this other stuff. But like, where is this one big, like you become a fan of Endeavor, right? Um, but they're, they're working more on the supply side for other platforms too. That's, that's a lot of their pitch is, Hey, we've got a diversified portfolio where we've got a bunch of things that supply very popular items. We've got UFC and PBR, which supplies niche sports. We've got all of our actors and actresses who are all over different streaming platforms and movies and all of that. Uh, we've got Endeavor content. So we've got the, you know, um, streaming 
services and, and distribution there as well as you know creating shows we've got img arena for betting which kind of integrates with our sports owned properties mma it's making headwinds of basketball all that stuff it it's a solid idea for for business and a, a solid strategy um it's just you know all about execution which we've talked about where they've really relied on the ufc being the crown jewel i still think the ufc will stay that way but with the economy shifting the way it is which i've been talking about it's sooner and I thought, but if you've been listening to this podcast, I've been warning you about the economy shifting, and it certainly seems to have done that. Um, I was right, and and that's, you know, I, I can say, I'm, oh, I'm expert. Yeah, a little bit. I, I can read some of the tea leaves, but, I mean, I couldn't have told you when this was going to happen, just that I knew it was probably coming. That being said, the economy is shifting underneath everyone's feet right now. You saw Endeavor stock is still down quite a bit from their highs because of the rising interest rates and the amount of debt they have. It's going to be very interesting to see what they do with the UFC in terms of still generating them more money as the economy takes a downturn, right? We haven't seen the UFC really face that yet since it's become this behemoth. I mean, it's, it's been a long time since the UFC was operating in an actual downturn since the great recession. Right. And back then, yeah, they were still, they were popular. Don't get me wrong. UFC was popular in the time, but they were a smaller shop. There were other things at stake right now. They are re- literally propping up a giant billion dollar company and they've really hit new revenue highs, uh, insane growth over the past 10 years, right? It's going to be one of those things where, where do you, where do you continue growth? I mean, if you thought pay-per-view buys were low now, if the economy continues to really hit and all of a sudden the labor market gets affected and you end up with a higher employment rate, you get a full on recession caused by the feds landing in the U S it's hard to imagine that people are going to pay $75 of their discretionary spending if they start to hurt for money, if people are losing their jobs, right? Right now, it's it's a worker's paradise. How long that lasts is unknown. And when that bottom you know, falls out, which it will, right? It eventually will. Because it, it comes in waves. It always does. So eventually, employment will go up. Suddenly, workers won't have their pick of wherever they want to work. Um, they won't have probably as much discretionary spending, especially with inflation starting to slow, but probably kind of leveling off and prices staying higher than they were post this crazy ramp of COVID. It's going to be really interesting to see what the UFC does to keep revenue up because they've exhausted so many options right? They've, they really have. I mean, you've, you've had new markets conquered. You've had media rights deals, again, doubled, essentially. You've cut costs by cutting so many fighters and signing all these Dana White contender series guys. Do you continue to do that? And even then, how much fat is there left to trim? That's what I'm curious about. I'm very curious to see what the strategy will be if we hit a recession, if pay-per-view buys really start to dip, 
to a level where it's it's making ESPN less happy. And UFC, again, has a bunch of guaranteed revenue, so they have enough revenue built in. But what happens when they finally stop growing or when they have a contraction? How does that affect Endeavor? How does that inf- affect the investors in Endeavor, right? Because the stock market is not rational. It, it is not. It is not based on fundamentals. It, it is driven by a lot of emotion and a lot of speculation. And if, again, you have even the slightest showing of a crack in the wall or crack in the armor, investors can go running. Sometimes they say, okay, that's fine, we're fine. But other times they just, Apple might be the best example of that. I forget what year it was. I want to say it was 2015 or 16. They broke a new record for earnings and, and market cap, but it was slightly less than what Wall Street expected. And like the stock tanked for a little bit and then quickly rebounded. But you get my point. Stock market is not tied to fundamentals anymore. It's important to remember that because Endeavor has a ton of debt. It can't take a sustained share hit. It needs as much equity as it can get. So we'll see where this plays out. I'm very curious to see where the UFC goes with this in order to keep the growth up. Sponsorships, yes, will continue. Um, Media rights deals as they come up, yes. And maybe there's enough media rights deals coming up in the next several quarters that they'll just, again, re-up on those and they'll be fine. But it's going to be interesting. If they don't have those things in place where they can easily just say, okay, we're in Q2 now. We know that, uh, I don't know, France and uh, somewhere else in Europe and Australia's media rights deals are all coming up, so we're going to double. And then, oh, Q3, now we've got Spain and uh, South Africa and et cetera, et cetera, right? Like, if they don't have that kind of thing lined up, I'm not sure where the growth is going to keep coming from. Because I think they're going to see a slowdown at least on the consumer side of purchases things again are shifting we'll see where it lands but i would not be shocked if things continue to get worse before they get better and all of a sudden you start to see less discretionary spending on that stuff all right last thing to talk about today is substitutions so i told you last time that i would kind of dive into what substitutions were a little bit more and give you kind of a background, business background on substitutions or the threat of substitutions from Porter's five forces analysis um, and how it relates to MMA, specifically with boxing. So what are substitute products? Well, that's essentially products that offer consumer choices when making decisions that, again, they're not exactly a direct competitor, but they're something that if a consumer has a limited amount of budget for an area, they may may decide to spend on a substitute product rather than your particular product or service because of price, because of uh, particular promotion or demand, um, quality. There, there's a lot of different factors that go into it. An example of a substitute to start out with would be, think of if you had a fast food budget, right, where you are a high schooler and you get, you know, lunchtime, and this is this is from old personal experience where you get a set amount of like, okay, lunch money, you're going to go to a fast food restaurant, right? You got 30 minutes, 35 minutes, you're going to get off campus real quick, you're going to find some fast food place, chow down and then 
come back with your friends. Um, McDonald's is one option, or maybe KFC is another option. They're not direct competitors, right? KFC is all about chicken and, and their chicken, although they've honestly become deeper competitors because of some of their sandwiches. All right, let's go Taco Bell. That's easier. McDonald's and Taco Bell, right? Taco Bell does Mexican fast food, uh, quesadillas, uh, tacos, all that fun stuff. McDonald's does burgers, some chicken sandwiches, some other ice cream stuff. Not a direct competitor like McDonald's versus Wendy's or Burger King, but still in that fast food genre. And if I'm a high school kid with like 10 bucks to my name for lunch, I may have different choices between that subset. And if I know that, okay, I can get a chicken quesadilla and a whatever box over at, you know, Taco Bell that's going on right now as a special with a bunch of tacos and a quesadilla for five bucks versus I go to McDonald's and I can do the dollar menu and I can get a ton of stuff. Well, okay, I'm going to go ahead and get the dollar menu because I'm able to get more out of it, right? Um, or let's say there's no promotion at Taco Bell, so it's, hey, it's just straight regular Taco Bell stuff. Uh, great. Well, I'm going to go to McDonald's because I know it's a little bit cheaper or it has a special promotion going on. It's not quite your direct competitor, but it's still you're, you're fighting the consumer's budget and interest. And so if the price of McDonald's goes up, then de- the demand for Taco Bell goes up. That's generally how substitutes work, where um, I think the one of the bigger examples is coffee and tea, which I don't know that they're that related, but Again, um, you know, price of coffee goes up, demand for tea goes up because it's cheaper and it still gives me that effect of drinking something that's not water and boosting, blah, blah, blah. Um, or, you know, ink and pens. That's that's another great one is, you know, price of ink goes up. Well, the, you know, demand of for uh, for pencils, sorry, pencils uh, goes up. Because, well, yeah, I'm running out of ink. I don't want to pay $5 for a pen. I'll get pay a dollar for a pencil. And I ignore my, I know pens don't generally cost $5 and pencils. Yeah, I understand. But you get what I'm saying, right? Um, That's how substitute products work. So, again, factors you look at for substitute products are price being probably the biggest one and the most common one. But then there's, you know, um, quality. Uh, there's low switching costs and, and high switching costs. So if I am, you know, choosing between Taco Bell and McDonald's and I'm driving there from the high school campus and I normally go to McDonald's and it's three minutes away right on campus. And then I want to go to Taco Bell, but it's all the way on the other side of the city and it's like 15. Well, that's, that's longer for me to get there. I have less time to eat. That's a higher switching cost. Maybe the price is better because Taco Bell has an awesome deal going on, but it's farther away. It's it's a higher cost for me. If they're both three minutes away, however, right? Like say they're in a food court at a mall or something. Well, then there really is no switching cost. It literally is. Okay. I'm just going to go stand in line over here versus standing in line over here. Um, Chick-fil-A is a great example of that where your switching cost is almost always higher because everyone is always trying to eat Chick-fil-A at all times. So you know, if I'm trying to go to any particular fast food restaurant for lunch and I normally go somewhere, but Chick-fil-A has a great deal and wherever I go, Taco Bell, KFC, where have you, prices have gone up. It's still going to be harder for me to do Chick-fil-A because I know I'm going to have to sit in line for 
so long, right? Just so long. Uh, quality is also a big thing too, right? If McDonald's is is just garbage hamburgers, the one by me is just making terrible, terrible hamburgers. And I know the Taco Bell over on the other side, uh, I'm in high school, I have a buddy that works there. He makes primo food. He wants to be a chef one day. Well, okay, like I know the quality is going to be better. I'm, I'm going to order from there more often, right? Pizza is another example of that, right? Like, okay, if I have delivery of some food and I know that, let's say Chinese food in my town is usually delivered and it's not that great, but the pizza is amazing from this particular restaurant. Well, that means I'm more likely to, you know, endure the maybe higher costs, the higher delivery times, all that, because I know the quality is better. So again, a couple of factors that you think about with substitutes, um, you know, availability of the product. If, if there's tons of Chinese restaurants and then there's only one pizza place, I'm more likely to, to do Chinese. Uh, and I know I'm doing food here, but you know, don't blame me. It's, it's late enough. I'm, I'm a fat kid at heart. So, you know, it has, it is, um, but yeah, it, those are the main factors you're looking at when it comes to, um, substitutes. I'm sure there are a couple others. You can look them up if you want, if you want to go through the exact five forces questions where you're asking X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. Um, but now let's take this, assuming you understand what a substitute product really is in the market and how it kind of works. And let's take that with MMA and boxing, because that's the based example of a substitute we've got going on in the MMA space right now, because they're not quite the same, right? They're both combat sports, but obviously have different rules, have different hardcore fan bases, different stars. But there's a little bit of substitute product offerings going on between boxing and MMA. And another important thing about substitutes, which I have not yet mentioned, is, is that even a monopoly or a monospony can face competition from substitutes, right? If I'm in a small town where I grew up, right, of like 20,000 people, and I own three or four restaurants, which is uh, fine dining restaurants, which is actually the case in one scenario, um, in my hometown, actually, uh, like basically all of the fine dining restaurants, right? So I've got a lock on that, like fine, fine dining, high class cuisine of, let's say, Italian. I, I am, you know, a monopoly in high class Italian cuisine. Nobody can buy a new restaurant. There's not enough space. Everybody loves my restaurant. You're not getting in. Barriers of entry are too high. But let's say there's a fine dining uh, seafood place that opened up, right? And all of a sudden it's the big, you know, big new thing in town. We're talking about a small rural community. So uh, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, they've got a brand new atmosphere. They have live music. It's this whole thing. It's like, whoa, that's crazy. That's competition for me. Whereas before I dominated both the fine dining scene and the, you know, Italian food area, all of a sudden, even though somebody is is selling, you know, something that is completely different product, technically where they're all seafood, I'm all Italian, that's, that's competition. And that's essentially what boxing is doing right now with MMA in the regard of, you know, having Tyson Fury box and, and all this other stuff. But we're seeing an interesting version of it where again, substitute products and services are often looked at from the view of the consumer and the end customer. Right. But in reality, they can also happen in the B2B world and more on the supply side. 
between suppliers. And B2B, again, is business to business. So, you know, we're talking a end customer might get a toy, but on the back end, you've got the company selling the toy and designing it. And then you've got the manufacturing company actually making the toys and shipping the thousands of toys to people, right? This is kind of what's happening with MMA and boxing, where fighters are realizing, okay, I have a skill and have made a name for myself in combat sports that translates to enough pull that I can go over to boxing and the pay is far better. It's a lot like the job market for most people out there, especially in in white collar jobs right now. If you have certain certifications for a particular software that's out there right now, even if you're not certified and you just kind of dealt with it, I can be a business analyst who's kind of just dealt with this software and, and it wasn't really my main thing. It was just part of this ongoing project that, yeah, it's a piece of it, but it wasn't really my main core focus. But just because I've touched this particular software and I know enough about it and it's up and coming, I can go get an analyst's role or admin role, even in some cases, for that software for a much higher wage, maybe better hours, working for a more prestigious company, and my skills translate. And that's what we're seeing where MMA, you know, again, you you do have, you know, Ben Askren going over and stuff like that, but um, who boxing obviously was not his forte. Uh, but, you know, you, you just have to have some training in it. And a lot of boxers and especially celebrities, right, with Jake Paul becoming the celebrity boxer that he is, um, they, they now have an appetite for it. And we've seen freak show fights and kind of crossover fights before, but it's getting more popular and it's giving an avenue for fighters who are currently making far less money in places like the UFC to go over to boxing and get huge paydays, right? Like it, you've got a bunch of retired boxers like Tyson Fury, Floyd Mayweather, or, Boxers that have kind of exhausted the division, right? Like Katie Taylor. Um, you could, I mean, you can obviously run back the Serrano rematch, but like again, let's say Katie Taylor gets through Amanda Serrano. Okay, then you you've heard Eddie Hearn talk about well, maybe Chris Cyborg, maybe Holly Holm, because that's a crossover fight, and that's a oh, okay, that's interesting, and Holly Holm especially given her background, that's oh, okay, cool. There's a lot of opportunity there. There really is. And Tyson Fury is saying, yep, I'm done done competing in like professional competitive boxing, not going to, you know, um, fight Usyk and, and unite everything, all that stuff. But you know what? I will fight Francis Ngannou, right? Because that'll be an awesome fight. Don't you want to see me fight Francis Ngannou in an exhibition? Wouldn't that be awesome? Floyd Mayweather, well, yeah, I'll go fight Conor McGregor. Wouldn't that be cool? It, it's really taken off. And that substitute option for top MMA fighters is slowly becoming a thorn in the side of the UFC. Again, it's not crippling them by any means. Uh, We've just talked about how much money they're guaranteed, but to get that extra little bit of variable revenue, you do have to have stars and you do have to have popular fighters. And those fighters are seemingly making more of the move over to boxing or at least getting tempted by it right and 
that's the UFC. I mean, when you're talking about Bellator, when you're talking about PFL, who's very dependent on variable revenue right now and really trying to, well, let me take that back. Not super dependent on variable revenue, but they're trying to get their growth through variable revenue. And they're much more dependent on having star power. Having Chris Cyborg maybe leave to go box or Kayla Harrison, well, Kayla Harrison is not going to leave to go box, but um, have, uh, you know, have MVP leave to go box. That's something to be concerned about. It, it's not that direct, like, okay, they might go fight for the UFC, they might go fight for the PFL or one or who have you. It's no, they might go box instead because they'll get paid more. And we haven't seen too many huge names make that crossover yet. Um, we we know Cyborg is being talked about and wants to do it. We know Nganu wants to. But that could, again, start a trend because those fighters are going over, like Ben Askren, who had no business fighting Jake Paul, and Tyron Woodley, who, yeah, yeah, just got knocked out by Jake Paul. But they're going over there and they're making tons of money. We got, what, Dan Hardy boxing Diego Sanchez on an undercard coming up, which is just wild to think about. That's going to continue. As long as boxing has an appetite for those crossover fights, and as long as you've got people like Jake Paul who would love to fight a bunch of UFC guys um, or Fury or who have you, Katie Taylor, all, all of those guys trying to get these huge crossover fights and all this stuff, as long as boxing has an appetite and fans have an appetite for that, it's going to start being competition for Bellator, PFL, UFC in terms of free agency. It's going to give them another option. It's a substitute product, right? If everybody's doing Taco Bell and, you know, uh, Pizza, well, pizza is not really fast food. Taco Bell, McDonald's, and I don't know what else, Long John Silver's, right? And you've had those three options forever in your town, and all of a sudden Chick-fil-A comes to town. Yeah, you've got a little bit more hurdles in terms of the crossover, but, you know, and, and, and that high switching cost, higher switching cost, but ultimately the quality of your product, if generally, right, Chick-fil-A is going to be way better. It's going to be new. It's going to be exciting. It's 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 a new entrant, and you're getting more money. If you're a fighter, you have to look at that in free agency. Build up your name in MMA, do your thing, and then when you've got enough of a following, go get the real payday in boxing. I'm sure that's what managers are telling them. I'm sure that's what Markel Martin is telling Francis Ngannou, is, look, you've made enough of a name for yourself you are, you know, the undisputed UFC champion. You just beat a huge contender with your legs hurt. You know, you knocked out the self-proclaimed goat heavyweight of the UFC who's, who's defended the belt the most times. Go, Tyson Fury's calling you out. Go make the payday of your life. Go get that Conor McGregor payday. It doesn't matter that you apparently drew less than 400,000 buys for UFC 270. You're about to eclipse all of that. And other fighters have to be thinking about that, right? And again, it's not going to cripple the UFC. It will hurt Bellator and PFL and, and one more. If you Well, one is not quite in that conversation. Um, it'll hurt PFL and Bellator more, but it's still 
technically competition. And from the UFC side, it's basically their main competition in terms of really top-level stars. Because this, with in combination with the sunset clauses on contracts, this is where you could see lots of champions starting to say, you know what, this has been great, I'm going to bounce. Right? Usman's calling out Canelo, which is preposterous, but he's doing it for a reason. He knows how much money he can make. You don't think that Usman... Uh, Max Holloway, Volk, Adesanya, you don't think they wouldn't go over and box if, if it was worth the money? And the real question is, is what happens when you get a major cohort of stars whose contracts are all up and you don't have a bunch of them resign right away and then they all leave at once, right? Imagine that you've got a bunch of champions all in one year decide, you know what, I'm not going to resign, I'm going to wait, and then I'm going to go box. And so suddenly you have a bunch of titles all dropping with champions just vacating. That would be a big deal, right? Now, whether it gets to that point, I'm not entirely sold yet, but as long as the appetite is there, it's a true substitute product, and that's how it's affecting MMA right now. It's much more on the B2B side than the end consumer. Because as a consumer, right, we're probably going to watch both the pay-per-views. And if we want to see Nganu Box Fury, we're going to go ahead and buy that pay-per-view. And it's actually going to be less than the UFC pay-per-views, which will also undermine UFC pay-per-view buys. Which, again, doesn't hurt the UFC a ton, but it it could if it continues. Because even though the revenue will only drop a little bit, if all of a sudden ESPN isn't happy not getting that extra revenue from that and they start to slow, uh, that's tough. And you just had Disney's earnings call where ESPN Plus subscribers are way up. So right now they're super happy. Everything's rosy. But again, that downturn is coming. A downturn may have already started. There's a good chance based on where the market's at, that downturn is already in full swing. And when it does, and discretionary spending drops, that's when relationships are tested. That's when products and services are tested in the market. It's when it gets a little bit harder. And how bad a recession will be if and when it comes, nobody can count. It's more when. It will come. It always does. But no one is able to tell if it's going to be kind of a mild one, if it's going to be a big one, any of that stuff. No one really knows. So, again, lots to think about moving forward, especially with that substitute product there. And if that goes away, which is possible, right? It's very possible that the appetite dries up, it's gone, what have you, then things may change and and we won't be talking about this. But as long as it's there, you have to consider that for MMA free agency, it's now a substitute product that is affecting the MMA industry. All right, guys, that wraps up another episode of the Fight Business Podcast. Appreciate you listening, watching. If you're on YouTube, hit that like, subscribe, bell notification. If you're listening on Spotify, Anchor, what have you, Love you guys as always. Appreciate it. Let me know if you've got any questions. Let me know if that substitute discussion made sense with how boxing is affecting MMA, uh, anything else I talked about, that type of stuff. And wrapping up the shorter episode because I am moving into a new house that I just bought, first-time homeowner, so there'll be a new background. Hopefully going to get a nice wall of UFC posters and things of, of that nature, not this plain white background you've been seeing for a while, if you're watching on YouTube, that is. So, um Look out for that. Hopefully coming next week. We'll see if I can get it up in time. But regardless, love you guys as always. And until next time, 
get money. 